We are in Romans chapter 2. And uh, today dealing with a, a common question, but a really hard one, I think. We have probably all at one time or another been faced with a question like, what happens to someone who grows up in a remote part of the world where they uh, never have access to TV or radio or print media or the gospel? Uh, Is God going to judge them? Are they guilty of their sins? Would the uh, Alka Indians have been better off if Jim Elliott and friends had never arrived? They had just been left alone in their ignorance. Does God judge such people? And how does he judge? And why does he judge? Is, Is judgment the same for a Pharisee in Jerusalem? as it would be for a pagan in the jungle. Is it the same, should it? And how does, how does God's judgment relate to us as average Americans? I mean, that's who we most often have to deal with. Bob, who lives next door, and Mary, with whom we work, average Americans. What about God's judgment on... Is that any different from a fair Jerusalem and a pagan in the jungle. Well, this next passage, I think, goes a long way in helping us to get a grip on that kind of a question and, and have an answer. <clears throat> we find that God's judgment is according to certain standards, and what we find in this passage from verse 1 through 16 of chapter 2 uh, Four standards of God's judgment. First of all, God's judgment is according to truth. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. For we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. But do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. We won't spend much time on that because that was our passage for last week. We saw that that God judges according to truth are hypocritical judges because as we look at other people and want to cast stones and judgment, we realize 
well, we're guilty too. Maybe not of the exact same thing they're doing, but we're still guilty, and we're all guilty before God. So judgment isn't something that we mete out. It's something we all are deserving of. Judgment indeed is according to truth, and only God knows all truth. Does God judge like we do? A lot of times the, the conversations of, uh, you know, how would God judge a person in this situation? You give some particular kind of scenario. If a person was in that situation, how would God judge them compared to this situation? And it's easy for us to look at those uh, circumstances and think, oh, well, in this case, I would render this judgment, and in that case, be more flexible, more lenient. I'd cut some slack because of... And I think that's the typical way that we, we as human beings look at judgment. For one thing, we all want to be cut some slack. But, but we do not judge like God judges. And one of the things we need to realize we're trying to do, even in this kind of discussion, is to bring God down so that He is thinking like we are. As if he only knew the things we knew. He was limited to that knowledge of that person's heart or circumstance. God ought to do this because that's what I would do. Verse 1, you are therefore inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. <clears throat> that's the exact same thing that happens to us. When we start thinking how we would judge or how God ought to judge, <clears throat> we put ourselves in God's place. So judgment is according to truth, and we trust that God will judge perfectly. Now, <clears throat> secondly, and this may surprise you quite a bit, judgment is according to works, verse 6 or 11. <clears throat> <clears throat> who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality but those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Now, <clears throat> in your notes, uh, the first uh, thing I have there under uh, judgment according to works is this to, to help us see the, the structural layout of uh, verses 6 through 11. It's called a chiastic structure after the Greek letter chi, which goes one way and then the other. That's what this does. It goes, builds one way, A, B, C, and then it goes the other, C, B, A. Chiastic structure. And so just reading down this list, the summary statements of these verses, God will judge everyone equitably. Good works lead to eternal life. Evil works lead to wrath. Wrath for doing good, glory for doing, uh, wrath for doing evil, I'm sorry. Glory for doing good, God will judge everyone impartially. As you can see, 
it's being built, ABC, but also there is uh, the parallel statements. And what I want to do then is look at the parallel, the A and the A prime, the B and the B prime, C and the C prime. Look at those together <clears throat> because they're saying similar things. So if we take the, the beginning A and the last A together, it is that, that God will judge everyone equitably and impartially. Now, just a, a few things to note about this. It is each one, <clears throat> verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. God doesn't give blanket judgments of all the people who live in Martinsdale or Indianola are going to receive this judgment. And he did that in the, in the past sometimes, like in um, Sodom and Gomorrah, everyone that didn't escape got the same judgment. But as far as personal judgment at the end of times, it is individual judgment. Each one. He will render to each one according to his deeds. It's, it's no good to plead the... Well, I was a friend with someone who was a believer. Or my uncle was a pastor or, you know, it's each one is accountable before God. Secondly, it's the same standard. Who will render to each one according to his deeds or his works. God's judgment is based on man's works. Look at Revelation chapter 20. You know, go all the way to the end of your, of your Bible and to see how this judgment works out in the end time. Revelation 20. <clears throat> Start at verse 11 of Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So you have two options. Either your name is written in the Lamb's book of life or all your deeds are written down in these, the book of works. And as these books of works are opened, people are judged according to what is written in those books, their deeds, their, their works while they were on earth. It is the same standard. He says both small and great. doesn't matter where people come from, how great they might have been on earth time period they lived in or anything they were all judged according to their works we'll go back to Romans chapter 2 
In verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Verse 11 explains why. For there is no partiality with God. He doesn't show any favoritism. There's no partiality, no favoritism. Why do we show partiality? You know, if you were, if you're going to give out a certain punishment to one person, you might do differently to another person. Why, why would you show partiality? Well, you're taking other things into account, aren't you? About them, about the circumstance, uh, maybe how you feel that day, whether they seem apologetic or not. You, you factor all these things in because we, are, we make our judgment based on things which are external to us that we can observe. But God's standard is always the same. It is himself. He says, holy as I am holy. That's, that's the standard. And so he doesn't look at people and say, well, he's a little bit closer than that person. And it's the standard is the unchangeableness, the holiness of God. He is the standard. And every work that is substandard gets judged. And every person who is is uh, doing those works that are substandard, less than holy, is judged. God's judgment never changes because He never changes. Now, um, perhaps more disconcerting for the way we normally uh, view Scripture, we have... um, the B and the B prime here that good works lead to eternal life did you know that good works lead to eternal life verse 7 and verse 10 now my particular version here begins with the words eternal life and uh, the original should come at the end which I think most versions do but Here we go. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek good for glory, honor, and immortality. And verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace to to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, good works leads to eternal life. Paul is... I believe hypothetically Um, let me explain what I mean by that by saying a couple things that it doesn't mean Uh, by talking about the good works here uh, in in patient continuance of good works seeking glory you get eternal life He, he is not talking about expectations of the present Christian life or our Christian fruit. Uh, that's a, a, a fairly popular approach, a way to see this nowadays, but I don't think that that is what Paul is talking about here. That, the topic of how to live the Christian life comes later, especially in chapter 8. And so what, what is in view right now, as far as what Paul is building here, is Judgment. This whole section is a topic of judgment. It is not about Christian living, but about judgment. 
also is not talking about the standard of salvation. It's talking about the standard of judgment. It's not dealing with how are we saved. It is dealing with how are men judged. That makes a vast difference to understand which he's referring to here. Salvation is by grace through faith, right? But judgment is by works. So we have two different topics. Though we don't want to confuse what Paul is saying here. It is true that salvation is by grace through faith. But he is talking about, this whole section is talking about judgment. And judgment is according to works. That's why a passage like Revelation 20 says that the books are open and everyone was judged out of the things that were written in the books, the thing, works that they had done. Judgment is by works. This is a hypothetical of could a person earn their way to heaven? Could they be good enough to merit heaven? And Paul is giving a hypothetical if someone by patient continuance in good works continually seeks glory, honor, immortality, seeks God, yes, but no one will. Now, he goes on to explain that if we read a little bit further. Uh, Romans 3.20, for example. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So if you're wondering, okay, if Paul is bringing up a hypothetical, if, if anyone constantly, without any swerving, goes after good works and glory, Paul is saying, well, that's not going to happen. But if they could, look at chapter 3, verse uh, 12. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So he raises the possibility in chapter 2, just for argument's sake. Let's say there was someone. Okay, if someone could completely keep the law, never sin all their life, yes. But the problem is, only Jesus only Jesus could do that. And therefore, judgment is impartial with God. Say you were to drive home today and you carefully kept your, your vehicle within the speed limit, except for a mere 30 seconds. Uh, a half of a minute when you were going 75 through town. <laughs> it, all the time before that, and then after you had a long conversation with a patrolman, all the time after that, you very carefully drove within the speed limit. 
and every day before that you had, and you promised every day you would after, would the policeman say, well, gee, since you mean you were just down on Highway 28 and you were driving the speed limit? Oh, that's good. You won't get a ticket now just for going 70 in a 25. That we couldn't plead back to, look back all my life, I've been doing good and trying to do my best, but it's one little time. I mean, even we know that that won't, that won't work. So, good works lead to eternal life, hypothetically speaking. And what is being sought here is what I would think of as a paradise regained. What would it be like to go back to the garden and not have sin? To have paradise regained. Well, verse 7 um, uh, seeking glory and honor and immortality verse 10 but glory, honor and peace you notice that uh, two of them are mentioned twice glory is in both verses honor is in both, both verses in immortality and peace um, I'm not sure why perhaps just to highlight glory and honor but it is something that God has for us in the history of redemption God is going to restore paradise we will have a new heaven and a new earth and we will live in glory in fact better than the paradise that Adam and Eve had because they had the opportunity to fall and we won't and God is going to restore glory man was, was intended to reflect the glory of God to be an honorable person to live immortally remember Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden lest they should live forever but we are designed to live with immortality and with shalom peace forever just to look at a few passages uh, Romans 3.23 as uh, the headline word of both those passages was glory those who seek glory why why talk about glory Romans 3.23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God it's it's not just that we have sinned against God but it makes us uh, short of God's glory we lack the glory he has intended for us chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God because of what he has done there's still the prospect of glory we rejoice in the hope of the glory not of ourselves but of him chapter 8 verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Chapter 9, verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering 
the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He has prepared us for this, for glory. Though we cannot attain it ourselves in any sense, he will, we will have paradise regained, we will have glory restored. Okay, now back to Romans chapter 2. The, the middle part of that chiastic structure, the C and the C prime, evil works lead to wrath, and then wrath for doing evil. That's verses 8 and 9. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Uh, and I'm not going to spend time on that because I think it is so, it's so clear in what else Paul has said that that is the right conclusion, that is the right judgment. And God who judges according to truth and righteousness will rightly judge according to their works. The third standard of judgment is according to law, verses 12 through 15. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So, Judgment according to the law. First of all, how about those who don't have the law? They've never read the Torah, never read the Old Testament, never read the New Testament. How about them? Do they know that it's bad when they sin? They do. And what Paul is saying here is that God has built into us, because we are made in the image of God, we have a, a moral awareness we know, we have a conscience that tells us when we have done wrong. And you don't have to be a believer to know when you've done wrong. Everyone throughout the world, and, and this is true if you go to any society in the world, this is true, and any time in history, whenever a society has been found somewhere in some remote area, they have a set of laws. They have their own set of rules, and they might differ a little here and there, but they're pretty much the same. Lying is still considered lying. Murder is still considered murder. And, and it's, it's universal because we have this built within us. And there can be no person in a, um, 
in a remote area of the world whose conscience never spoke to them. They know in themselves that they have sinned. And in whatever way they sinned, those deeds are written in the book of works that Revelation 20 talks about. Those books will be opened one day and they have sinned against God. And not just, oh, I made an error. But as we know of ourselves, we are sinners not only by, by nature, but by choice. And God will have every reason to judge them. Their conscience bearing them witness, even that they have the ability to judge among themselves, to have a court, to have a hearing, to have judges at the gate, proves that they understand this. But not only because of creation, I mean, because of conscience that God gives us, but also because of creation. Remember how we started in Romans 1, uh, verse 18. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There, there's both an internal judge, our conscience, and an external judge, the creation, that we know that we didn't get here by ourselves. So both internally and externally, we have witnesses against us. How about those who have the law? Verse 12 says, For as many as, as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Just, just having a copy of the book doesn't help. You don't get this by osmosis or something not just by holding these laws that they become part of your life. In fact, uh, the, the amount of information and light that you have holds you all the more culpable because you should have known better. The, the Jews had a problem in thinking that just because they were the favored people of God, they were the ones to whom the law was given, they were the one to whom the commandments were given, the, the order of the tabernacle and the priesthood and all those things, that they... They had a higher status. They weren't to be judged like lower people who didn't have any of this. But they were the favored people. But no, verse 11 says there is no partiality with God. He judges all alike. And those who have the law, by not keeping the law, have proven that, that they are due judgment. And finally, a judgment according to the gospel in verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. In the day is uh, looking to the future, to that eschatological day, that, that coming day of judgment when Christ will come and judge the world, the great white throne of judgment. God will judge future tense it's going to happen it's coming he will judge and 
even though we don't see the fullness of God's judgment now, we only see parts of it because God is still shedding out his mercy and grace upon mankind. We can take it for granted. Donald Gray Barnhouse recounts the story of a group of godly farmers in a Midwest community being irritated one Sunday morning by a neighbor's plowing his field across from their church. Noise from his tractor interrupted the worship service. And as it turned out, the man had purposefully chosen to plow that particular field on Sunday morning in order to make a point. He wrote a letter to the editor of the local paper asserting that although he did not respect the Lord or honor the Lord's day, he had the highest yield per acre of any farm in the county. He asked the editor how Christians could explain that. With considerable insight and wisdom, the editor pointed, uh, excuse me, the editor printed the letter and followed it with this simple comment. God does not settle his accounts in the month of October. <laughs> but God will settle his accounts. And there are people who are building up wrath against the day of wrath and the righteous judgment of God. Paul says, God will judge according to my gospel in that day. The day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ is by or through, the word is dia, by, by agency of, I think. Jesus Christ is the, the agent of the judgment, as we saw in John chapter 5 last week. He will judge the secrets of men. Now, a lot of things that people do, we, we recognize, we see a person is, appears to be good or bad on some level in our estimation, but God will judge the secrets of all men. His judgment is according to truth. He'll judge the secrets of all of us. Paul says it is according to my gospel. Now, he doesn't mean my in the sense of origin, as if Paul is the one who came up with the, the gospel, but my in the sense of identification. He so identifies with the gospel of God and Christ that he calls it my gospel. In fact, if you look at his, the very first verse of this book, Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And that's the gospel to which he refers in 2.16. This is his gospel. He so identifies with it that he can refer to it in that way. And the gospel, you, we're, we are used to thinking of the, of the gospel as good news, which is literally what the word itself means. Um, but there's only good news because there's bad news. As people have to understand how bad the bad news is before they can understand how wonderful the good news is. And Paul is talking about the, the judgment of God, the just judgment of God, which is a, a, according to truth. It is according to works. It is according to the law, according to the gospel. And the gospel happened because our sin was an offense to God. 
And the message, the heart of the gospel is that Christ paid for that sin. Even that secret sin paid for it all. So that everyone who puts their trust in him will not be judged according to their works. Those works have been wiped clean. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You will not come into judgment. You have passed already from death to life. Such is the grace of God. Now, back to our original question. Is judgment the same for a Pharisee in Jerusalem as it is for a pagan in the jungle? The answer is yes. Judgment is the same. Because, you see, it's according to truth, and truth does not change. It is according to works, and all works that are against God will be judged. It is according to law. Even if you don't have a written copy of the law, you have the law in your heart. It's according to the gospel. I'd like you to turn in closing today to Psalm 130. I'll ask our worship team to come up as we prepare to sing a final song. But turn to Psalm 130. sense the weight of our, our sin it may feel like the psalmist in Psalm 130 <clears throat> out of the depths I have cried to you O Lord hear my voice Lord let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications out of the depths I have cried to you it could be the, the depths of despair the, the depths of sorrow, the, the depths of sin, the depths of hopelessness. Out of my depths I cry to you, O Lord. Verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Is this not true of us? If the Lord were to mark down our sins, to keep a record of our sins, who could stand? Not for a day, not for a moment, none of us could stand. Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The word that is lamayan, means for the sake of this. There's forgiveness with you for the sake of this that you might be feared, that we would rightly look upon God and be in awe of Him. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word, I do hope. My hope is not found in me or in nothing nothing that I can do or that I'm just going to try to be better God but I 
Wait for the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, those who watch for the morning. Having a long time ago had to pull all night guard duty. Boy, you really learn what it means to watch for the morning. It's like it'll never come. Or if you've been up all night for some reason, some pain in your life or your body or problem, you know what it is to watch for the morning. I so wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That is our hope as well. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm -hmm.